Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise God. We just want to give the Lord thanks for another opportunity just to uh, be here online with all of God's wonderful people. Uh, I greet my pastor in the name of the Lord Jesus, all of the officers at Faith Deliverance International Ministries, all of the wonderful saints of God, and especially our visiting friends. I greet you in the greatest name that man has ever known, the name of Jesus Christ. Bless the Lord. Today, it is a great day to give God thanks, and it is a great day to be in his presence. Hallelujah. If you agree with me that it's a great day to give him thanks and to be in his presence, would you just give your Lord a hand clap and give a praise to his holy and wonderful name? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He is worthy to be praised from the rising of the sun, uh, even down to the going of the same. So we just give the Lord praise today. Um, this morning, if we could just uh, turn our Bibles, um, we're just going to look at a few scriptures and just see what the Lord will would, uh, share with us this morning. If we could look um, at the book of Amos um, and we'll read in the New Living Translation um, for now. Uh, we'll Consider Amos chapter 2, and we'll read a few verses, so from verses 4 down to verse 6. Bless the Lord. And the scripture says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. Praise the Lord Jesus. Uh, We'll just skip over to the next chapter, Amos chapter 3, and uh, read uh, the first three verses. Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel. Against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. From among all the families of the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? For a short while this morning, I'd like to speak to the body of believers from the topic, walking in agreement, walking in agreement. Praise the Lord. As we look at this text, um, this is the book of Amos, which many uh, Bible scholars and theologians, they would um, classify Amos as uh, one of the prophets that uh, had a shorter collection of writings, had a a shorter prophecy. Um, Some would classify him as a minor prophet. This they did um, just to uh, bring categories for the prophets. Um, They classified them either either as major prophets or minor prophets, Um, not in regard to... um, their ability to deliver the word of God, but rather it just in how long or how short their prophecies were. Um, we see that Isaiah would be known as a major prophet as his book uh, has over 66, uh, sorry, has over 60 chapters. I believe it's 66. Um, Ezekiel would be major and Jeremiah would be a major prophet. Amos is one who um, they call a minor prophet. And uh, the, 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 the book has about nine chapters. Um, and Amos is not a, a prophet that is um, in line with 
many of the other prophets as it regards to his social status or um, even his calling. Um, many of the prophets came from a lineage of priests um, or even a lineage of prophets. But Amos was quite different in that Amos was uh, a shepherd. Um, his, his job was actually taking care of sheep. He lived in Judah, um, which um, is in Israel on the southern part of the kingdom. And Amos um, was particularly focused on taking care of his sheep, the herd that he had, the flock that the Lord had given to him. And he had no um, desire to prophesy. Uh, he had, you know, no prior engagements in prophecy. He didn't attend the school of the prophets like many other prophets had. Um, but he was just focused on doing his work. And so when Amos arrived on the scene, it was quite um, shocking for many of the people in Israel because at that time, uh, the nation of Israel was divided into two uh, sections, if you would. Uh, there was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was uh, in Samaria. The southern kingdom was Judah. And that's where Jerusalem was. And all of this happened after King David um, finished his, his uh, tenure and his, his um, assignment as king and handed it down to his son Solomon. And the scriptures teaches us that when Solomon rose in power, he began to go against the word of God. He began to make alliances with countries that the Lord had told him not to make alliances with. And the end result was that God removed the kingdom from Solomon and he, he, he split it. He gave two tribes um, to Judah they stayed in Judah and the rest of the 10 tribes went were up north in uh, the kingdom of Israel, which was their, 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 um, their main um, power base or, or where the kingdom uh, was established was in Samaria. And we see that was uh, with a man named Jeroboam. And during that time, uh, Israel went into a severe apostasy, a, a severe backslidden state. Um, under the rulership of David, they worshipped God. They served God. Uh, David was a man of, 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 of worship. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of wisdom. He was a man who the Bible describes. He followed the Lord uh, with his whole heart. And the Bible also declares, uh, God says that he was a man after God's own heart. He possessed the very heart of God, which is why God made a covenant with him of his uh, seed of the uh, you know the seed of of his flesh there would come a Christ or a savior who would save Israel and also uh, the rest of the nations the Gentiles um, in time to come and so we see that after David departed and Solomon uh, backslid that now this division this departure from the covenant of the Lord um, that was given to them at Sinai which was given through the hands of Moses, where God met with Moses and he called Moses um, out from among the people and he set him to be the deliverer. And God sent Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. And when Moses came out of Egypt, God said, now listen, uh, I want you un to understand that I, I brought you out of Egypt for a specific purpose. Not just to show you how powerful or how mighty I am or what great things I can do. But I called you out because I want you to be a kingdom of priests to me. I want, the, I want you to represent me in the world. I want you to be the light. And so from you, the nations of this world will know and understand who I am. Because I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to dwell amongst you. And so he even gave them the, the ordinance uh, of creating the Ark of the Covenant, which would symbolize his presence that would be in the midst of Israel. And so God gave them this uh, covenant, and he says, now here are the words of the covenant. And Moses uh, received the message from God, and Moses gave this message to the people. And after Moses gave the message to the people, 
the book of Exodus in chapter 19 would have us understand that the people, they heard the words of God and they said, we agree. We will do all of these things that you have said. We agree. And so they came into agreement with the Lord and they said, this covenant, we will follow it. And so uh, Moses, he took the blood of some animals and he sprinkled it um, upon the, 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 the tables um, and the writings that they had made. He sprinkled uh, the people with the blood and he says, now this is the blood of the covenant. And so the people now came into agreement with the Lord that day. And so then God, he spoke to them and he says, now, now because you are walking in agreement with me, you are going to be blessed above every other nation. You are going to be the light of the world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do great wonders among you. Uh, what you saw me stretch open the Red Sea was nothing compared to what I'm going to do with you. And the promise that I gave to your forefather Abraham, that I would give him a land and give it to his descendants after him, I am going to perform my word. Because anytime God speaks a word, that word, the Bible says, is established. It's forever settled in heaven. And that word cannot return to him void. And so God is very careful when he speaks because he understands that whatever he speaks, it is a law. Whatever he speaks, it is established. And so God now, the Bible says he, he, he doesn't take counsel from anyone, but he counsels with himself. He does all things, Ephesians 1 tells us, through, by the counsel of his own will. And so God now, he speaks to Abraham he gives him this covenant that he would bless him and make his seed like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the sea. And he tells him about this land. And the, this covenant is passed down from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to his 12 sons, and then all the way down to Moses and from Moses now into the hands of the children of Israel. And we see that as God was with the children of Israel, they did great and mighty wonders. We, we read about when they went up against Jericho. And God arranged their army in such a way. And gave them a, a, a strategy and a battle plan. That when they heard it. And when they, com they completely followed it to the T. We see that an impenetrable wall was broken down. Just by a shout. Hallelujah. We see then that they continued their conquests. Taking land that was occupied by giants by men that were in much greater stature than them, by people who were much more learned in war, by those who they had the ability to destroy these people, uh, the children of Israel, if they were to go of their own strength. But because God was with them and they were walking in agreement, we recognize that Israel was victorious. And so it is for the believer that when we walk in agreement with the word of God, we will always be victorious. There is no chance for a believer to fail when we are walking in agreement with the word of God. And so now we come to uh, the text and we realize that after Israel had split because of their departure from the covenant, because now they have separated themselves from the agreement, we see that they put themselves in harm's way. And God now taps this man, uh, Amos, on the shoulder, and he says, listen, I want you to go up to Israel and begin to prophesy. And Amos leaves the sheep, possibly with another under-shepherd or some other family member, and he leaves and heads now to Israel, not knowing what exactly the response would be, not even knowing how prophets usually do these kind of things. But the word of the Lord was so strong in him that he went by faith up to Israel. And now he begins to prophesy to Israel and to tell Israel their sins as God begins to lay it out. And one of the chief sins of Israel is that they were greedy, is that they treated the poor people among them with such disdain and with such contempt. They treated the poor people as if they were nothing. And now this is particularly important because the way that God looks at poor people is very important to understand. 
God himself identifies with the poor. When there is a poor person, when there is someone who is in need or someone who lacks, God himself calls himself the father and the God of the poor, the God of the fatherless, the God of the needy. And so because he's a God of justice and he's a God of righteousness, he is always concerned with making sure that everyone is treated in a way that they have what they need to survive. And so God explicitly wrote laws within the constitution of the covenant to ensure that no poor person would go uncared for. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, the Bible teaches us that there was a law put in place that at the end of every seven years, there would be a release of, de of, 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 uh, of debts. And so if I was to owe you some money or I was to owe you some form uh, of, of, of item, in those days it was not necessarily money, but there are various things that they could owe to someone. At the end of that seven years, if I was not able to pay that full debt, the Bible says that that debt would be canceled. It was known as the year of release. And so the Jews understood that this year of release was a time when they had to let go of any debt. And that's important for us to understand as believers because the same principles that are outlined in the law, in the Mosaic law, trans put themselves into the new covenant, the principles, not the exact laws themselves, but the principles of the law. And so in that law, Moses instructed the children of Israel that there, if there's any poor among you, because God said there would always be poor people that are in the land, and God would allow those people to be in the land to try and to prove those who he had given the resources to help. And so God now uh, tells the people, and we'll look at it in the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 15, uh, verse 4. He says, there should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. He says, there should, should be no poor because of how blessed they will be. Verse 5, you will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend money to nations but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations but they will not rule over you. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. And so we see here from this uh, scripture that this decree was made as a way to ensure that the poor were taken care of. And so if you had a land that produced great fruit um, and, and it brought forth you know, a great yield of whatever fruit you may have had, the poor in the land, if they did not have anything, they were able now to come to you and ask you, for something and you now would be expected to give it to them and not to give it to them grudgingly. God does not only uh, address the act of giving, he addresses the intent of giving and the motive of giving. 
So God says, don't just give. Make sure you do not give grudgingly. Because in your giving, that giving will turn against you. That giving grudgingly, I who see the heart now, have to judge not only the act, but the intent. And so God speaks to the intention and the motive of a man's heart. And we see that this law was placed uh, in the constitution of Israel, and they were to follow it. And following and, uh, and walking in agreement with this law would ensure that they were blessed above every other nation. Could you imagine not having to go to the bank for a, a mortgage? Could you imagine not having to ever worry about uh, 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 taking out a line of credit to pay for the rest of your school or to start a business? Well, Israel was given this kind of promise that you will lend to nations and they will borrow from you if you walk in agreement with my covenant. And so we see that Amos is speaking to Israel and saying, you have departed from the Lord. And he lists out a number of their sins. And amongst the, the sins, he says in verse 6 of, of Amos 2, the people of Israel have sinned again and again. I will not let them go and punish. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. So we see a level of injustice here. We see now where poor people are being treated as though they're nothing. A pair of sandals, which was uh, something that was, was very cheap. They sell them for a pair of sandals, putting someone into a position of slavery, somebody who God has delivered and who God has, has, has called to be equal with this person. They are now selling them for something so cheap. And so as we look at this, this scripture, we recognize now that God is grieved. God is so grieved with what he's seeing happening in the land of Israel, the land that he called out of Egypt to be his light and to show his righteousness in the earth. Now, God asks the very provocative question. He says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Or can two people walk together if there is no agreement between them on where they're going. And so God is calling Israel to reflect. He's calling them to realize now, you are heading in a completely different direction. And the direction that you're heading in is set for destruction. Because what's important to you is self-promotion, is self uh, aggrandization, is self-conceit. Uh, uh, All of this has to do with self. And God is saying to Israel, it is going to destroy you. And he's saying, now come back to me. The message is return. Come back with your whole heart because you have left my law. You have left the agreement that you said you would follow. And because of this now, I must punish you. The scriptures talks about some of the punishments. And in Leviticus chapter 26, we read uh, from verse 14, he says, however, verse 14, if you do not listen to me or obey all these commands, and if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees, treating my regulations with contempt, and refusing to obey my commands, I will punish you. I will bring sudden terrors upon you, wasting diseases and burning fevers that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will plant your crops in vain because your enemies will eat them. I will turn against you and you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you. And you will run even when no one is chasing you. So we see the spirit of fear and trembling that will come upon them because of them breaking the covenant and rejecting the law of God. And, in, and if, in spite of all this, you still disobey me. So we see that these things happen to bring them back to the covenant, 
to bring them back into agreement. God would send these uh, 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 various uh, issues and the fevers and the, uh, the crops being taken away by the enemies. All of these things were to be a sign that, hey, we have strayed from the covenant and that was to bring them back. But he says, in spite of all this, you still disobey me. I will punish you seven times over for your sins. I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. Meaning nothing will be able to produce. The heavens will be shut down. The earth will be shut down. I will call for a lockdown on both the heaven and the earth because you have shut down my law. You have locked off your heart from obeying my commandments. And so now everything around you is locked off. All your work will be for nothing. For your land will yield no crops and your trees will bear no fruit. If even then you remain hostile toward me and refuse to obey me, I will inflict disaster on you seven times over for your sins. I will send wild animals that will rob you of your children and destroy your livestock. Your numbers will dwindle and your roads will be deserted. And if you fail to learn the lesson and continue your hostility toward me, then I myself will be hostile toward you. I will personally strike you with calamity seven times over for your sins. I will send armies against you to carry out the curse of the covenant you have broken. When you run to your towns for safety, I will send a plague to destroy you there and you will be handed over to your enemies. I will destroy your food supply so that 10 women will need only one oven to bake bread for their families. We see now a food shortage coming on the land. They will ration your food by weight. And though you have food to eat, you will not be satisfied. What we see here is God laying out in his covenant the consequences of disobedience. And every covenant that the Lord makes with his people, there is always a consequence for disobeying that covenant. And we see this as a pattern from the beginning with Adam. He says, I'm giving you everything and putting you in charge of everything in this world. The one thing that I command you not to do, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you will surely die. And so we, we see now consequences following uh, through each co uh, covenant. And as we look at this, we see that God always gives a fair warning. God does not bring destruction on a land. He does not bring destruction to any person. He will not bring uh, destruction without instruction. He will not bring consequence without first giving a warning. And so that is because he's just. He's, he's right. He's fair in what he does. Now, the people of Israel have these, uh, these, these uh, warnings given to them. And when we look in the book of Amos chapter 4, we see now that the Lord begins to speak and he gives a message to the children of Israel about the upcoming judgment and about what he has already done. He says in uh, Amos 4, Verse 1, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall. You will be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. 
God is encouraging them. He says, go ahead, keep doing it. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. Uh, I, I want you to keep on giving your tithes. Come on, keep on uh, uh, giving sacrifices to, to your idols that are in the house of God. Keep on disobeying me, he says. Bring your tithes. He says, present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. He refers them back to the law where he gave them certain commandments. Bring your, 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 um, your peace offerings. Bring them to me. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. We see he's addressing the motive of the sacrifice. These people were so uh, haughty. They were so proud about the sacrifices they were able to make to God. Proud about the tithes they were able to pay. And about the fasting and the various things they were able to do. He says, go brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do, says the sovereign Lord. And whenever we love to do something, God will allow a man to do what he loves to do. If we are in love with sinning, God will allow a person to continue sinning until that sin brings their own destruction. He will bring a warning. He will bring prophets. He will bring prophecies. He'll bring the word of God to bring that man back. But if that man is, is stuck and bent on sinning, then God will allow him to continue doing it. God says, this is what you love to do. He goes in verse 6, I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town. I brought it. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I kept the rain from falling when your crops needed it most. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered away. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. He says, now uh, there's, I put restrictions on one town, but I opened up another city. And you left that one city and ran to the next city. He said, but you still would not return to me, says the Lord. I struck your farms and vineyards with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all your fig and olive trees. But still you would not return to me. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirs up the winds, and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. Here we see that Israel has now experienced the judgments that were written in Leviticus chapter 26. We see that because they have left from walking in agreement with the Lord, that now they have opened themselves up to agreement with destruction. And it's important to note that any time as believers we leave from the presence of God and we decide to do things our own way, what we have done is signed a covenant with death. And death, although it may be slow, it is compounding effect. And so God, he does not pour all his judgment all at once. He doesn't pour his wrath all at once. But what he does is he will pour a little judgment. And that judgment is, is poured out to cause a man to return. That judgment is poured out to cause someone to repent. So you may see something happen, a sickness he may send to get our attention. 
He may send some division in our family. He may send some sleepless nights just to get our attention because we choose to reject his word. And when we reject his word, what happens is our heart becomes hardened. And when a heart is hardened, what happens is the Lord will send that judgment to try and break it, to try and cause that hardened heart to break so that now we can come before him in humility. That's why David says that the sacrifices of God is not what, these, what Israel was trying to give to him, their peace offerings and their tithes of grain and mint and all these things. But David says that the sacrifices of God is a broken spirit, a broken spirit, a broken heart, a contrite heart is what God desires as a sacrifice. And so now we see that Israel is facing one problem after another but in every problem that they go through they are set on continuing in their stubborn ways and God says now at the end of this I've sent messengers messengers of judgment to try and bring you back and those messengers were my messengers of mercy it was my messengers to deliver you but now because you would not hear, prepare to meet me. I want to meet you face to face, God says. He says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And now we see that the anger of God is kindled. That now he's ready to act in a final judgment upon his own people because of their rebellion to his covenant. And so we see now uh, 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 Amos continues to prophesy. He continues to speak. And as he's prophesying, he's, he goes up to the house of, 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 of the, the idols in Bethel. And he begins to prophesy until the priest, there's a priest, I believe, named Azariah. And Azariah looks at uh, uh, Amos and he says, stop prophesying. He says, shut up. Close your mouth. We don't want to hear your prophecies. Go back to your own land. Whatever you're saying here, we don't receive it. We don't receive that word. That word is false and we will never receive it. And he begins to chastise Amos. And Amos says to him, listen, I, I'm not a prophet. I, I, I was not even one who was, who was ordained a prophet. I, I came up as a, a, a shepherd. I took care of my sheep in Tekoa. I'm telling you, I, I can show you my resume. I have nothing of prophecy written on it. But when the spirit of the Lord took me, I had to get up. I had to leave the sheep aside and come into this land and begin to declare the word of the Lord. Because there is a destruction that is coming to those who do not repent, to those who do not hear the word of God. Something terrible is about to happen. He says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Those ones who believe that just because of where they're seated, because of their position, because of their stance, that they have the ability to overcome judgment. They have the ability to live how they want to live. Those who oppress the poor, they oppress the needy. They take more than they deserve. They take more than they need. And when they see their brother struggling, they would not even lift their hands to give. God says, I'm angry and I'm telling you now, it's time for me to act. And so in this time, we see even all across the world that there is such an inequity. We see there's inequity and imbalance in power scales from this country right across the countries all over the world. We see that corruption is moving all over the land. And we see that even Amos himself, before reaching Israel, he began to prophesy about all of these different nations and talking to the nations that surrounded Israel about the issues that they were uh, 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 involved in. And Amos, as he prophesied, he prophesied to Edom, he prophesied to Moab, he prophesied to Damascus, to all these different areas. Uh, and as he's prophesying, the scripture tells us now that he gets to Israel. Israel, the chosen of God. And as he gives Israel the word, we see that it's Israel who pushes the word off who says, we do not want to hear another word from you, you prophet. We want you to shut your mouth, close up, lock up, pack up your bag and go home. Go take care of your sheep. 
But God cannot be shut down. Even though the prophets may be rejected, even though the prophecies may be despised, the word of the Lord is not bound. It cannot be shut down. It cannot be stopped. For whatever the Lord says must come to pass. And God is crying to his people in this hour, walk in agreement with my word. Walk in agreement with my covenant. Come now, all who have left off from following the word of God. God, how have we left, you may ask, by following your own will, by following your own desires. Many times when the Spirit bids us to pray, we, des we decide instead to do something else. When the Spirit bids us now to give to someone in need, we decide to close our hands and say, no, they can take care of themselves. When the Spirit of God, even through a thought, we may say, no, that's not the Spirit of God, but it's the Spirit of God that gives us a thought. You you know what? That person's in need. I should try and check up on them. I should call them. I should see what's happening. But instead, we close our bowels of compassion. We shut the cupboard of our giving. And now we hold back from our own brother and our own sister the gift that God has given us to give. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, let him that stole steal no more. But let him work with his hands so that he would have something to give to someone who is in need. All the resources that God gives to us is for us to give to others. It's for us to share so that there is no lack amongst the body. In the early church, the reason there was such a great revival is because they walked in agreement. It's because the scripture says no man said that whatever he had belonged to himself. No one showed up to church and said, you know what, that's my car. And you know what, no, that, I, I can't give you a ride in my car. You know, no one showed up and says, you know what, no, all this money belongs to me. I can't afford to give too much uh, uh, offering. I'll give a little bit of a tithe, but the offering, that's mine. No one had that mindset when they showed up in the assembly. No one said that whatever is mine is mine alone. Because they understood according to the apostles' doctrine, according to the teachings of the Lord, that whatever you have, whatever has been given to you, you must freely give. And so the Lord expected the church to live this way. Because when the world looks at the church, the world should see, should see the light of Jesus shining through. The one who gave his only begotten son. The one who gave his his all his entire life on the cross of Calvary, the one who gave his last drop of blood to save sinners from their destined destruction, the one who came and decided, I, although I am a king, I, I showed up as a servant. Although I have the power to rule, I came to serve. This same one says, now my spirit, I put on the church, and I want the church to reveal my spirit to the world. I want that when the world looks at me, they see the light of Christ. They see the light of the true gospel. That when they look, they don't see a selfish, uh, a self-driven organization that's so divided, that's so split apart, that there's no unity even amongst their leaders. He says, now, I want the, the world to know who I am through the church. I want them to understand the oneness of God, not just through Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, but I want them to understand the oneness of God through my body. I want them to understand the oneness of God through my church, through the actions of the believers with one another. I want them to understand that it is I who is working through them. When they see them, they recognize that it is me, hallelujah, that is doing such a great work. This is the calling of the church to reflect the glory of God. But God says, how can two walk together if there's no agreement? If I decide that my money is my money and my wife's money is her money, how can we walk in agreement? If I tell her, you, you take out your account and spend from that account. Don't touch my money. That belongs to me. Don't ask me for nothing. You're working your job. Do your thing, buy your thing. When she faces struggles or hard times, she can't ask me for anything. How can we walk together except there's agreement? God, God wants to address some practical things. 
if I am living with my wife, who I have said I am in one covenant with her, the Bible says that we are now one flesh. So when God looks at us, he sees one man. But if I now decide to separate from her through my finances and says, you know what? You have your own and I'll have my own. Don't ask me for anything. I won't ask you for anything. If I decide I'm going to sleep in my bed and she's going to sleep in her own bed, where is the agreement? Where is the oneness? Where is the unity? The Lord looks at that and says, I see a divided man. I see someone who's divided my image. Because husband and wife were meant to reflect the image of God. They were meant to reflect the oneness of God. But if now they decide to split apart, and he decides that he's going to keep his investments in one account, and she can do her own thing, then where is that oneness that God is looking for? God says the early church said that whatever we have does not belong to us. It's for the church. That's why they took whatever money they had. They put it at the apostles' feet. And it says, whatever you want to do with it, do. And the apostles distributed it evenly so that there was no lack amongst the church. But now we struggle in a westernized uh, society where we are trained from youth, from children to pursue our dreams. Pursue your own goals. Whatever plans you have, go after them. We're, we're trained. You don't pray and seek God for your career path. You talk to a counselor, a, 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 a guidance counselor who will uh, help you to make a decision based on what you like. We no longer are like uh, the children of Israel who when God would appear to a woman named Hannah. And Hannah would say, God, here is my son. Do whatever you want to do with him. Who would now lend our children to the ministry and say, God, whatsoever you want, let your will be done. But rather now we have plans, even for our children. You are going to be a doctor. You are going to be a nurse. You are going to be a dentist. And, and we, 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 we create these paths for them based on our own desires. And sometimes it's because we couldn't do what we wanted to do for lack of opportunity. But God is saying, can you walk in agreement with my will? Can you seek me to find out what it is that I'm saying? Do you understand that my spirit has an agenda and there's only one agenda? If there's two agendas coming to the table, only one can be used. And so God is saying, what is your agenda today? Where do you stand in my presence? Are you bringing your own desires to the table or are you coming to hear from me? He says to, the, to, to, to Israel, where are you, Israel? Where is your mind? Where are your thoughts? What is your heart set upon? Is your heart ready to seek my will? Or will you go in your own path? In a time like this, there is so much confusion happening. There is so much frustration. So many people are frustrated and don't recognize it's because they are not walking in agreement with the Lord. People have lost Funds. People have lost the ability to make a, 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 a move forward in their lives because they have left agreement with the Lord. How have we come into this state? How have we, uh, how have we ended up in such a situation? Because we have left from walking in agreement with the Lord. The scripture tells us in 1 John 1 that we should walk in the light as he is in the light. In order for us to see clearly, we have to walk in the light of his word. In order for us to be successful, we have to walk in the light of his word. As a matter of fact, I want to just read that 1 John chapter 1. Bless the Lord. It and he says Bless the Lord. It says verse 3 we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John says to the, to, to the believers now, we want you to have fellowship with us. We want you to understand the truth. And when you're walking in the truth, you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is not just amongst flesh and blood. Our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We want to share these things. The Lord wants to share his, his, his patience. He wants to share his peace. He wants to share his joy with you. He wants the believer to experience the fullness of joy. But that joy comes through sharing in fellowship and agreement with his truth. Are we walking in truth today? Or are we separated? Are we like the Corinthian church who everyone had their own doctrine? Everyone had their own opinion. Everyone had their own agenda. But God says, no, I want you to be a church that has one focus. In verse 5, he says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness we are not practicing the truth. Here John tells us that if we say that we are walking in the light and have fellowship with God, but we continue in spiritual darkness, if we continue to, 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 to exalt our greed above the word of God, if we continue to pursue our own self-interest, if we continue to hold back what we know is meant to bless someone else, if we continue to speak harsh words to our wives, if we continue to talk behind our husband's backs, if we continue to hurt one another with emotional separation, there's times where you may not say the word, but because you emotionally separate yourself from your spouse, you now cause division. You create a space for Satan to fill that space, to fill that gap. And so when the emotional separation is there, when the silent treatment is happening, now what happens is that silent treatment opens up a space for a demonic force to come in and now have a room to speak, have a, 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 a pulpit to speak from, to speak lies into the, to, the, to the ears of your spouse, to speak that lie, you're not good enough. To speak that lie, no one wants you. To speak that lie, you are better off alone. And so now that space that you've created emotionally because you felt you were justified in doing that, now Satan has filled. That's why the, the Paul says, leave no room for Satan. So now we have to understand his devices. But when we do this and we separate ourselves emotionally, what we're doing is actually opening a door for the devil to destroy what God has built up. And now we come into content with God because we have now torn up his agreement. We have now uh, dissolved his covenant through our own selfish desire. And that's why the scripture says that we should live in love with one another. That's why the scripture says that wives should reverence their husbands and husbands should love their wives. Why? So that there is no disagreement or discord, but that there is a functioning, healthy relationship that Jesus Christ can use to reflect himself. Your relationship is not just about you. It's about Jesus being seen through you. So when we decide to separate, we open up so that the spirit of God now has nowhere to move. And this is, this is, this is uh, an important un uh, concept to understand. Our relationships must be knit together in love. How is it that we treat our children? Are our words harsh? The scripture says, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. When we speak, do our children feel a, 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 a sense of, 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 of abandonment? Do they feel a sense of hurt? Do they feel as if they're not wanted? When we speak, do they feel as though they should, they should be somewhere in a corner hiding? Just by speaking those words, we can create an opening for the enemy to come in. And now our children are suffering with self-esteem issues because the parents have spoken a word into their hearts. 
Then they grow up and they act out in ways that we are so embarrassed and ashamed of because we planted that seed and have allowed it to grow by watering it with our words. Mm. We water it with our frustration. And when the Lord says, if you're frustrated, now you need to learn to, to step into my presence where you can find peace. Instead of stepping into his presence, now we, we go forward with this frustration. And just as Moses, when, when God told him, I want you to speak to the rock. Moses left the presence of the Lord with the instruction. But instead, he goes forward to the rock. And because of his frustration, he strikes the rock two times. And that one act of frustration is what kept him back from continuing to walk into the covenant land. And so God is saying now, don't allow your frustration to pull you out of agreement with me. Don't allow your frustration to destroy the family that I gave you to nourish. Don't allow your frustration to destroy even your friendships. You're frustrated because your friend wasn't there for you the time that you wanted and needed them most. Well, God allows sometimes friends to separate for a bit, to be missing in action so that he can see, will you bring your frustration to me? Will you bring your frustration back to the door of the congregation of the tabernacle? Will you bring your frustration to the feet of Jesus? God is saying, this is why I've created an altar. The altar is for you to have access to me. But what we have done is we have forsaken the altar and have now taken our frustrations, taken our needs, taken our wants, and we've now, we've now displaced it everywhere else. And so instead of going to God, we're going to a man. Instead of going to God, we're going to a woman. Instead of going to God, we're going to a film. We're going to a show. We're going to a pill. We're going to a, a drink. Because God is saying, you've missed the fact that I have put everything in my covenant that pertains to life and godliness. And so today God is saying, where are your hearts? Where is my heart? Where is your heart? I want you to walk in agreement with me. I want you to walk in covenant with me. Because my covenant is meant to bring you life. Jesus Christ was the embodiment of that covenant. Jesus came, the Bible says, the word was made flesh. In fact, in this same 1 John 1, uh, John says, we handle him. We, 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 we looked at him, we handled him with our hands, the covenant of life. We were able to, to have a, 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 a meaningful interaction with this covenant. This covenant is not just written on tables of stone. This covenant came in a body. This covenant came with hands and feet. This covenant came into our cities. This covenant came into our towns and villages. This covenant came and walked into our districts. It came in even to the places where there was darkness. This covenant of life and of light came and brought healing. This covenant came into the town of Nazareth and began to raise those who were dead. It came in the land of Judah and began to heal those who were afflicted. It went into the land of Jerusalem and healed those by the sheep market. It came, hallelujah, into the land of Bethany and raised up a man named Lazarus. This covenant, hallelujah, came walking in our direction, John says, and we were able to touch it. God says, I want you to handle me today. I want you to touch me today. This covenant has come to give you life. This covenant has come so that you can walk in agreement, so that you can be one with me, hallelujah. I'm not just here to show you the way. I'm here to show you that I am the way and I want you to be in the way. I want you in me so that wherever I go, you go. That's why Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. This covenant speaks to us and 
okay with I want you to be where I am. I'm not okay with you being outside of me. I want you to be inside my body, the Lord Jesus says. I want you to understand it's not okay just to follow my teachings. It's not okay just to read my word and not obey them. I want you to recognize I need you in my body. There is no other way outside of me. I speak to someone who's contemplating baptism. Baptism is being baptized into the body of Christ. There's no greater uh, uh, unity. There's no greater agreement than being one in Christ, than being in the body, than being in the presence of the living God. I speak to someone who has not yet received the Holy Spirit. It's one spirit that joins us to the Lord. And so when you receive the spirit, you become one and you are walking in agreement. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wherever you are, I want you to just lift your hands and begin to magnify the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Just begin to bless his name. Hallelujah. God wants to do something for you this morning. Hallelujah. But it comes with uh, hallelujah. Walking in agreement. God wants to destroy some altars in your life. He wants to destroy some stronghold. There's some habits. Oh God Almighty. Someone is even sitting under guilt right now. God wants to destroy that guilt. That guilt of the things that you have done, the times that you have forsaken him, the times that you have done evil when you know you should have done right. God wants you to understand that my covenant is good enough. My blood is good enough to destroy your guilt. My blood was shed just for your guilt, to cover, to make atonement for your guilt so that now you can come before me. When you come with a repentant heart, you can come before my presence and we can step back into agreement. We can walk together again. Hallelujah. Although your sins be as crimson, I want you to understand I will wash them all away in my blood. My blood is a detergent. It will wash you clean. Hallelujah. It will purge you from every uncleanness. Hallelujah. And bring you into covenant relationship with me. Hallelujah. 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 I want somebody who is struggling with unforgiveness this day. Hallelujah. To understand that the blood of Jesus, it breaks every barrier. Hallelujah. That unforgiveness can be broken through the blood of Jesus. If you give that unforgiveness to the Lord, the Lord Jesus will destroy it with his blood. Hallelujah. He will give you a new heart. Hallelujah. For the Lord says, this is my covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my laws in their heart. I will give them a new heart. Hallelujah. I will give them a new mind. Hallelujah. He spoke this covenant to Ezekiel. He said, in these days coming, oh God, my laws are no longer on tables of stone, but it's in their heart. And so now they're going to be able to forgive through me. Hallelujah. Not through their own strength. Hallelujah. They're going to be able to let go through me, not through your own strength. You're going to be able to pray for those that use you, for those that hurt you. Yes, for those who have spoken evil against you, those who have even betrayed you. God says, I'm going to give you the power to pray for them when you're walking in agreement with my covenant. Ah, hallelujah. Someone today, hallelujah, can receive a new start. Hallelujah. Can receive a fresh perspective with the covenant of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 For those, hallelujah, who are ready, mighty God, hallelujah, for a change in their lives. God says, return to me. Walk in my covenant. Walk in my truth. My truth will set you free. You may feel bound. You may feel as though you cannot break free from certain cycles. And these cycles have you for years. Some of you, it's a cycle of depression where some moments you feel okay. Some days you're fine. But as soon as the, as the clock strikes 12, you're boom, right back into that depressive state. Can't eat. Can't drink. You're so depressed. You shut your door. 
Even family members can't access you. It's a cycle because somewhere along the line, through some hurt, through some form of, of hardship that you went through, your heart departed from the fountains of living water. Your heart strayed and the enemy pulled you down a path of bitterness. He pulled you down a path of hurt and caused you to forsake the path that leads to life. And Jesus is saying, I want to break that cycle for you today. No longer will that cycle have dominion over you because my truth has come to set you free. If you just believe in your heart right now, if you surrender and say, Lord, I give you all of it, the Lord Jesus Christ can break that cycle in a moment. He doesn't need a long time. He can destroy the cycle right now as I speak. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to that woman who's struggling with depression and no self-esteem. I speak to that depressive state right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I destroy that power of depression. I send it back to the pit of Makasata. Lose her in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, I speak a word of deliverance right now to your spirit. Let it go in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Just begin to magnify the Lord of, the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Just begin to praise his name. Hallelujah. Wherever you are, just begin to praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's doing something marvelous in your life right now. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 At this time, mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you have heard the word. Hallelujah. Oh, glory be to Jesus. If you have heard this word and it has touched your heart. Hallelujah. If you're ready to come back into alignment, into agreement with the Lord. Today is your day. Turn it over to Jesus and everything is going to be all right. I leave you with this last encouragement. Those who walk in agreement, those who walk in truth will walk in victory, will walk in prosperity. Hallelujah. If you want to be prosperous, walk in truth. Practical tips. Open the word of God daily. As you read the word, ask the Lord, Jesus, what are you teaching me today? How can I apply this principle to my life? Lord, show me the areas where my life is out of alignment, where my life is out of agreement with you. Show it to me, Lord Jesus. And take some time. Be still in the presence of the Lord. God speaks best when we're still. We hear him more clearly when we're rested, when we're still. And when he speaks, when he shows us, then we bring that same uh, issue to the Lord and say, Jesus, please heal. Please help. And bring me back into agreement. I want to let you know that there is so much joy. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, meaning that all should walk in agreement with him. So when you read that word, just allow it to bring you into agreement. The Lord bless you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord give you peace.